Index investing or passive investing has grown more popular with investors. Even Warren Buffett has the benefits of owning an entire index like the S&P 500 over the long term. An example of an index tracking ETF is BMO's S&P 500 Index ETF. It's the largest ETF in Canada that tracks this well-recognized and popular index. It provides exposure to the returns of the market cap weighted S&P 500 Index at a low cost the management fee of just 0.08%. This broad market ETF makes for an efficient building block in a portfolio, saving you time and effort while mitigating single stock risk. If you're looking for exposure to the largest and most liquid public companies in the United States, this ETF delivers an easy-to-use solution and instant diversification. Commissions and management fees and expenses all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus of the BMO ETFs before investing. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Lunar episode 113. As always, joined by the three amigos, we've got uh, Keith Digger, Ice Cap Asset Management, in his Steve Jobs sweater, and Rich Diaz of PGM, the Tom Brady of Macro. Welcome back to the show. Rich, what's going on? Not much. It snowed. We got our first snowfall. I do not miss the snow at all. It's the first time I've, uh, first time I've had to deal with that in a very, very long time. I do not. I uh, do not miss the snow. Are but you it soft? Was kind of pretty. I am. So, I am so soft. Honestly, I've lost any kind of 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 uh, vim and vigor related to weather and Buddy, like, living in London all those all those years. Yeah. If I lived in Montreal, I'd be on the uh, o- ODR every week. <laughs> What's the ODR? Outdoor ring. Oh yeah. Well, I helped my I helped my one of my my godson build one. So that's that's pretty fun. But do you yeah, rip no. around out in your farm there? No, not not yet. No, no, not yet. When there's a house, I'll maybe build an outdoor. You should flood that now thing. I'm, I'm just gonna complain about the weather. We um, got a loony hour uh, hockey tournament going. That'd be cool. No, that's it. It's, it's cold. Hey, Rich, don't you think it's funny? The guy from Kitslano is, is poking <laughs> fun at you for not being hardy in the snow. Man, I I lost it all. I'm freezing, and I don't like the and boots and stuff. No, no, it's not good. It's not good. But otherwise, it's it's all right. You get this guy to Miami. Yeah, I gotta get in the warm weather. I have to Remember? say, as you get old, yeah, when we, you know, at, at some point, Mrs. Icecap and I, we're heading down south somewhere as well. That's going to be. Where are you going? Texas Land of the free? To, to California? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like cray cray, I think, over that way. I don't know. You know, we lived offshore before. We like, I like the warm weather and stuff. But the point is, as you get older, like we had snow this week as well. And, you know, you're out walking Willis around and it's. It's not fun sometimes, but Will speaking of fun, it. totally changing the subject. Uh, I had someone pop in, uh, they were flying through Halifax a couple of weeks ago and they, they rung me up. Hey, let's get in on a chat. They, they watched the podcast. So we had, a, we had a great chat with them. And uh, anyway, they, they left me a gift. Like what are this? Twinkie candy canes. I know. Isn't that wow. something? Is that a thing? That's- is it a th- well? They are now. Look at them. So, uh, so the next time I lose a bet, which it, it does happen, right? It is, it is a frequent occurrence. I'm gonna start munching on these guys. Yeah, it's actually unbelievable that we don't have a sponsorship at this point. 
Yeah, I know. Post this. But thank you, thank listening. you to Courtney for uh, dropping these off. These are uh, they're on my desk and they're ready to go for the next time we. So we didn't have a Bank of Canada bet this week because uh, it was so obvious that nothing was going to happen. And was it? Twitter, Twitter didn't think it was obvious. Really? I didn't. Uh, I didn't. Uh, in in my world, it was pretty obvious. Not much was happening. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously we'll, we'll get through the bank of Canada stuff. We're going to talk on, on more of what's happening in the bond market. We've got some U S data, uh, some really, really important data that's coming out here on Friday as well. I think, uh, you know, all our listeners should be paying close attention to going to kind of touch on that. Uh, some of the cop 28 stuff that I think is really important to uh, the Canadian energy sector. So we'll kind of walk through all that, but, uh, I think to, to frame it up this week, obviously the bank of Canada, um, remaining on pause. So Keith, there was no, um, there was no press conference. It was just like a, it was just like a, what they put out those one page statements or PDFs or whatever. So, um, I think we're going to get some commentary today from the deputy, one of the deputy, how many deputy governors are at the BOC? 1,853,000. There's at least oh, they all one. got PhDs. Well, at least one Carolyn Rogers. Yeah. Anyways, one of the one of the henchmen is out today to uh, to to provide some commentary. But I, I don't know what your take was. I, I think was. there's maybe five to eight to, to be factual about it. Yeah, around that range. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, so, for everyone who is listening, like you, Steve, you said, hey, like you know, there's some job data coming out. Uh, that's the American non-farm payroll number or the employment number. If you're listening, it's out today. But we're recording this yesterday. Oh, is it out today? I thought you said it was out on Friday. Well, it, it depends on when. Rich gets it, right, Rich? We, we record, record on Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> yeah, so if there's some confusion here, the data is coming out on Friday, which is tomorrow, but it's today. So you're listening to yeah. this today, Friday. Some people listen on Saturday, you know. So you're confusing that the whole case, audience. It's, now it's oh yesterday. So maybe it's yesterday for some people too. Anyways, if you're paying attention to markets, you'll probably see some volatility on Friday. December the eighth. That's right. That helps clarify. Thank you, Keith. Um, <laughs> but yes, the uh, the bank kind of held rates. That was kind of expected, right? I mean, um, I think the question now, really, you know, market's perspective is really like when, Keith, when do the cuts start? Um, the markets, I believe, are pricing in hundred basis points of cuts from the Bank of Canada next year. Um, there was a Reuters poll. Um, that I think it surveyed 28 economists. I think 20, 26 of them said, you know, I think that the median expectation was, was for a hundred basis points next year as well. So that's kind of what the markets are expecting. The economists, again, we'll wait and see, but you have an opinion on that? Yeah, it's, uh, I think you need to put everything in, put out this the context to see how everything has been synchronized here. So we have the Canadians, the Americans, the Europeans, and the Brits. They're all now all forecast to cut rates by anywhere between 75 and 125 by next year. So with the Canadians and the Americans at 100 and 125. And that's now become the norm. So we're, we're in this world now of extremes. And, you know, we've gone from, remember, I think it was earlier this like, year. It was like six weeks ago or it was like... Wasn't yeah, it wasn't too long ago when everyone said, "Oh, the you know the big kind of, they were going to keep raising rates." And I remember I I said or I tweeted I said, "Hey, that 
they're likely paused by now with a panic pause as Steve refers to. That's what yesterday was. Or if it's Friday, it's two days ago. <laughs> depending on when you're listening. Yeah. Man, yeah. I'm yeah. <laughs> it's a long week already, hey. But the <laughs> but um but earlier this year, you know, we made the I remember I commented once said, hey, like the next rate move is going to be a cut. And um, you know, uh, you know, there were some people specifically there, hey, you said they're gonna cut and they haven't cut, you know. It, <laughs> they they paused, right? They they move into what's what's the next move going to be? You know, I said, well, the way the cycle works, you reach the top and then by definition, nothing is happening, and then it'll be a cut. So now we're seeing this, you know, this tsunami of everyone's going to cut rates, and it's likely they're gone to the extreme expectation as, as well. Keith, but like one the- of when are these guys ever forward looking? Right? I mean, I don't think central central banks are reactive, not proactive. Yeah, especially on the extreme side. So again, like I think we mentioned this at the Toronto event, which was super fun, by the way. I had a lot of fun meeting everyone there. And uh, but I think that was one of the comments we made that, you know, a lot of people will be happy to hear if the Bank of Canada cut rates by 100 basis points. And then I think one of you guys commented that I think I see. I think you said, hello, darkness, my old friend. Right. <laughs> Something like that. That was a good line. I do have some commentary on that because I know like. Yeah, I know your view of 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 things, and 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 it was like, hey, listen, if the market's getting you know 100 basis points of cuts next year, the economy's really gonna kind of stink, and you know, if you're in housing, that's not great. And I would definitely agree to some extent that like that, yeah, we're gonna be losing jobs, and I I I think where I sort of I'm a little bit cautious. Again, I don't have like a strong, super strong opinion on that. Where I'm cautious is that where I see in like markets like Vancouver and Toronto and stuff like that is like. It's similar to like COVID. It's like, yeah, people are losing their jobs, but like people, people like don't think, I think like the loony hour thinks in housing. It's just like they look at their mortgage payment and they look at the interest rate and they look at so what can I afford by monthly payment? Is that, that's where I sort of, eh, eh. and there's like really, when you think about it, like housing has become like this financial asset for like the the elite in these major markets. It's like, you got to have boatloads of money and it's not affordable and you got to hope your parents are in the market and they can cut you a check for half a million bucks. And so I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Like, so and there's what, a lot of equity. There's also a lot of equity in those homes, as you've told us I'm, many times, right? I will say this. I know like this is going to come off. Everyone's like, oh, that's the realtor talking. But like that, this is my general view of the market right now that we had this discussion off the air before we recorded is like, what I can tell you, like, unequivocally is that the housing market right now it it stinks like it it's you know volumes are slow uh sentiment is really bad this is in vancouver and the gta the only market that seems to be bucking that trend is calgary um but like you know the sentiment is bad people think things are gonna get worse um and so i believe because i just think like you look at human behavior over time in canadian housing markets it's like the bank of canada cuts cuts rates in like let's say march that first cut i, I think it's actually gonna i think it's gonna unstick the housing market and i'm not saying you're starting a bull market i don't believe that but i think like people are people will get fomo 
So does, does that mean you you like don't believe Carolyn Rogers when she says you know we're keeping an eye on the housing market and we're afraid of cutting rates because for restarting and reigniting those sort of animal spirits? I think it was like two or three press conferences ago where she basically articulated the Bank of Canada's new view um, that they're really worried about sort of reigniting that that housing you know all the housing speculation because remember what happened I think a couple of years maybe last year. Right, last David, year was, the, was the, no it was this year oh, it was this me. year sorry that's right that's right they paused and the market re-accelerated to prove your point steve which was there was still a lot and they then in the summer said oops you know now we're actually going to start paying attention to this yeah so that's why you know i mean i said it um i said it in toronto and i'll say it again i got this idea that they're just going to cut a lot um when I don't think there is that much weakness in the labor market and and inflation is still above target, even above the upper end of totally. their, 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 um, the idea that they're just going to like preemptively cut. I just, I find it very hard to believe. I, yeah, I know. I, I, I think that if I'm, if I'm the bank of Canada governor, I would certainly be qu hopefully quantifying that yeah. because I think like, like I said, even by him signaling the pause this year, like it, it, it it unleashed it took a frozen market back into like a, a fairly hot market just by him unpausing or just by him hitting pause and so like i said i think if you the get panic, that cut, the panic pause remember? the panic pause um again i'm not saying so here's here's where i'll put the asterisk next to it which i think is incredibly important for people to sort of take into context when i say like it, it what i say is like right now the market's like frozen and so i think when you get that cut it unfreezes the market. I'm not saying you start off with a bull market and prices go up 15%, but I think it unfreezes the housing market because it creates a little bit of a sense of urgency once again, because right now there's like literally zero urgency. Um, on the other side of that is where I will say this is this does not eliminate, in my opinion, the insolvency phase from playing out. So for example, I can tell you because this is what I do for a living day to day is like looking at a lot of these developers and the ones that are really like in tough spots that are, if they're not bankrupt yet, they're, 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 they're very, they're on the edge. Um, because so lowering rates. So the bank account of taking rates from let's say 500 basis points to 400 basis points does not, does not stem off that, that that issue for the developer. So the a lot of these guys rely on the, um, especially in Vancouver and Toronto, um, some of these more like aggressive developers, they rely on on land refinancing. So what they've been doing is in Vancouver, particularly, think about this, right? Like every year, systematically, the housing market, the land value has been going up ten percent a year systematically, and so. A rolling loan gathers no loss, right? So every year you just go back to your lender and you refinance because you're like, hey, my property's worth more money, refinance, go buy go buy more land and use land bank and you just continue to roll this debt. And so what's happened is the music has stopped because not only the land value stopped going up, they, they started going down and the interest rates, interest rates went way up so they couldn't roll any of the debt. 
So that's where a lot of these guys are getting into these issues. And so by lowering rates from 500 basis points to 400 basis points isn't going to help these guys. Lowering them from 500 to 350 isn't going to help them because you need land prices to reaccelerate. And I don't think land prices for development purposes are going to increase next year. Hey there, have you been keeping up with Addy? It's not just your average platform. It's now Canada's largest real estate crowdfunding sensation. I'm a proud member and let me tell you, it's game changer. I use Addy to invest in top-notch institutional commercial grade real estate, not just in Canada, but in the good old US of A. Get this, Addy has enabled a whopping 38 properties onto the platform. The best part, everyone, yes, everyone from all corners of Canada can now jump in on the action. But that's not all. Real estate investing with Addy opens the door to a world of benefits, passive income, capital appreciation, mortgage pay down. So what are you waiting for? Join the Addy community and unlock potential real estate investing. Head over to addyinvest.ca and use promo code LOONIHOUR. That's addyinvest.ca, promo code LOONIHOUR. That's a great point. I think and I really like the little the little limerick that you shared with us. That was a good one. <laughs> but the, the other thing I wanted to just add was like, um, something's happening in the US as well, which is, you know, financial conditions Without, without the Bank of Canada having to do anything because of the rest of the yield curve has come in. So when the U.S., you know, and you, you alluded to this earlier, because the U.S., the 10-year bond yield has come in, and we're going to talk more about that later, but it has come in quite a bit. You, I mean, you were referencing the five-year Canadian um, government bond yield, and it's peaked at 440, and now it's at 340. So you got 1% of contraction in that five-year bond yield, which you've told us many times is what, that's what the mortgage market is linked to, you're already having sort of an easing of those financial conditions. Now, my question for you is, is that being passed through to mortgage rates? Have you seen well, sort of a 1% yeah, decline in mortgage rates? I mean, that's that's a great point, Keith. This is where you're right, man. Like, uh, And again, we'll see how this shapes up over the next three to four, five, six months, whatever. But you know, I remember you've been talking about it on the podcast, which is like, when bond yields drop and the housing market's quite soft like it is now, a lot of these banks aren't going to necessarily pass along those savings, right? So they have, they have been baking in these these premiums or these spreads into... So what's, yeah, like you said, basically, long story short is the Canada five-year bond yields dropped 100 basis points. Mortgage rates have not gone down 100 basis points. They've gone down about four... Uh, I'm going to say 40 to 50 basis points. Okay. So like there's there's a... Like there's a lot more room for mortgage rates right now to be lower, but the banks are clearly not passing them on. Now, Ron Butler's talked about the seasonality, which is like typically the banks will will get more aggressive uh as you head into the spring market, because that's the busy time in the in housing and and to acquire, you know, new clients and whatnot and to expand their book. But as it is right now, uh, these guys are not passing on those savings at all. And so, this is really without the recession yet. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know last quarter was down aggressively, and and this has been my point. I I continue, and 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 again, I really hope that we're wrong with this. We are not in a normal cycle. It's kind of interesting, you know. Earlier, I think we referenced uh, Sam Garfunkel, right? What? Hello, darkness, my old friend. Oh yes, of course. Sorry. What's the song? What's the song called? Uh, the boxer? No, it's not the boxer. Figure we'll it out. Find it. Okay. We'll find we'll it. it. Continue. It out. Yeah. The uh, Joe DiMaggio winner this well, right? The anyway, sound of silence. Reminds... Sound yeah, of the silence. sound of course. Man, that's what this podcast should be right now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, you're some like boomer stories here. It reminds me because, you know, earlier I mentioned, you know, the expectations for Bank of Canada to drop rates by 100 basis points. 
the Americans 125. Uh, I think the Brits and the Europeans are 75 and 125, respectively. And so they've all, you know, they synchronize. So think about uh, with the music theme here. The, have you guys ever heard of the band The Police? When you guys are yeah. a lot mm-hmm. younger, of course, yeah. Love them. Yeah, so 1983, their big album was the biggest one they came out with called Synchronicity. So everything's been synchronized. And their best, the number one song they had from that album was Every Breath You Take. So right now, I hope this makes sense as an analogy, guys. But the global economy, the yield curve, the housing market, everything. Everyone's breathing in and out here at the same time, hoping you know, we, we, we keep these things alive because it carries over to the rally in the bond market over the last three weeks. The gold. Uh, the, the gold, like everything has just been, core, correlation has gone to one for everything right now. And, and you know, that ain't a healthy market right. to be into. It, it's not healthy to have that. Um, even like with equities, uh, what do they call it? The big seven or the, the magnificent seven, seven. It's the magnificent seven, seven. That was Lee Marvin. That's an old time movie. You don't know that <laughs> I one, know Peter Rich. No, is that the that's the uh, the country western country? Yes. Yeah, so, no. Well, it was a war movie. It was a war movie. Yeah. Okay. But uh, but the point is that we're, we're in this extreme periods, and you know, with the expectation that the central banks are cutting rates by hundred basis points by this time, it's not bad, provided it's these gradual, you know, baby steps, baby steps. But if they're if they're doing this reaction, because it's what we mentioned, you know, maybe fifteen minutes ago, because central banks react to markets, um, then again, it, it's my fear. You know, things are getting a, a bit dodgy out there, and that that's just going to you know upset everything. So, Steve, let's just say, for example, the economy, say it is a softish kind of landing. You know, it's maybe for a whole year we're at minus a quarter percent for GDP. You know, GDP per capita, that's probably what, minus 14, Rich, something like that. <laughs> but, you know, it's 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 like that. I mean, do you, do you think Bank of Canada are cutting by 100 basis points in, in that world? You have to assume inflation is still... Well, it depends on it. I guess it depends on inflation. Like, I don't it know. It totally depends on inflation. Yeah, absolutely. But the wild like, card, of course, if, if the banks are really... Remember that the banks were chatting with the uh, policymakers all the time. So if the banks are starting to tell them, yeah, you know, our balance sheet is shit, like we need some help here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, then they will start to ease. But if we get this period where, you know, things have slowed down, inflation is still sticky, you know, known as, you know, has gone over the blue line before the podcast, the, you know, they, they won't be cutting rates. So it's. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think it just is tough. I agree with you. I think it just depends on inflation and like what your views are. I mean, you know, we've obviously discussed it, Rich. You've uh, you know have bring up you know good points uh, on on inflation and and and, and so and to be fair, there's a few bad points as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I so I look at it and say like I don't know. Like I'm looking at you know a chart up data point here. Consumer credit in Canada has slowed to its weakest pace in 30 years uh, when adjusting for inflation, household credit outright declining for the first time since the Great Recession of the 1990s. And I go, I don't know. If the consumer is that weak in Canada and no one's borrowing money, I'm struggling to see how you can really engineer higher inflation, structurally higher inflation. 
Well, I can tell you how. Well, I know. You, yeah, you, you get let, some wage growth. And no, like, you let three, you let a million people into your country, and they all flood into the rental market, which boosts the rental market, which knocks into the shelter component, and yeah, you know, away you go. I mean, I, I know I'm a broken record here, but that's that's what's happening. Sorry. But well, another gonna... way, another way, you you strangle Alberta and Saskatchewan to literally death. They won't let yeah. produce, and then your currency uh, collapses yeah. because you have no hard currency inflows. And but anyway, <laughs> well, okay, you know what? Now you bring up a good point considering the Hello, uh, the people Darkness, are running this country. My old friend. But wait, wait, before before you go I've on, I just have a quick question about the you real again. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, just a quick question about the real estate market, which is, um, at one point, at what like I know this is a tough one, Steve. So maybe this is something for you can answer over as we go on, but. At what point does sentiment in the housing market get broken? Because I think, you know, like, uh, you know, at one point in like Las Vegas or in Arizona yeah. and all these like very like, um, you know, speculative bubbles that we had in Ireland and Spain, a decline of 20 percent did not encourage the buyer people that, that there was like, you know, you know, the you know, yeah. something was. Yeah, broken. I don't twig I, had that's, snapped. Yeah, I could. I, I, it's a good point. I, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that is. I mean, I think like, I think it would have to be like, it would have to be a financial financial crisis event. Okay. Like, right there, uh, you know, that's my opinion. Like there'd have to be like some sort of financial event, lots of big names, you know, going under and people like, like not like a few people losing jobs and like, you know, this sort of like mild ish recession, like you'd have to have a serious hard landing, I think to, to really structurally so break that. We're not there yet. People still think housing goes up and up forever and ever. And that's... <laughs> I do think, yeah, I mean, I do think, I mean, we just talked about in the beginning of the show, right? I do think there is an element. Like you talk to people out there and I'm not just saying like, I'm not talking to like my clients, but just the general public and other real, like, I think there is like that general view of like, well, hey, you know, like rate cuts are on the horizon. Like, and like, again, like people don't think about like, well, recessions, like people just think like, well, rate cuts are coming. You know what that means? Okay. Interesting. Like that's that's just how and you know what I mean. Like so, it's like it's interesting because like I always play this back, which is like I thought it was crazy because I was like you know I think I tend to be a guy that thinks about the economy a lot. I just remember during the pandemic, you know, in June July of 2020, right when like the world was kind of shut down, but like people were still out there like literally like in bidding wars over like houses, and I was like. You guys know you might lose your job next week, right? Yeah. But like people were out there like bidding up houses. It was nuts. And like, that's the thing is like, I, and I remember like I had a client, I'll never forget this. Cause like this just kind of goes to show you like just the general public and how they don't really think about like job security and the economy. And it, for the most part is I had this guy and he was like, you know, we went and looked at this, like, we went and looked at this house. He's like, yeah, pretty interested. Like, let's, we're going to write up an offer tomorrow. We're going to go subject free because we're going to be competing. And like, I really want this house. So he's like, so like, get the documents prepped. Let's have a conversation in the morning. He calls me in the morning and he goes, yeah, so uh, let's not write that offer up. I just found out this morning I lost my job. But I was like, man, imagine if he had, imagine if he had found out about his job loss 24 hours later. This guy yeah. would have been unconditional on a house. <laughs> but like, that's just like what I'm saying. It's like, you look around, you can see all these people were losing their jobs during the pan during the pandemic, right? Like the highest unemployment rate uh, in, in what, 50 years or something. At one point it was short lived, but like people 
seemingly didn't care. So I mean, the, I mean, the other challenge we have with this is that, you know, the, the last three three years we've had this you know, extremely unorthodox monetary and fiscal experience. So in like in three years, people experience rates going from five to zero and zero back to five. And, you know, money getting flushed in the economy everywhere. And and they've now all of a sudden everyone's become interested in monetary policy. More people than ever have heard of the central bank, sorry, the Bank of Canada. Whereas mm-hmm. before that, before COVID, nobody knew about the Bank of Canada. There's only geeks with glasses and blue shirts that knew about it. <laughs> Everybody knows about CBDC now. Yeah, absolutely. But my, my point is that, so as, as you were saying, Steve, that people you know the expectation is, oh, they're going to start cutting rates again. Again, you don't want to see that because that's is extreme period. And again, remind everyone, you know, for almost 15 years before this crazy period that we just had, you know, five to zero, zero back up to five. It wasn't quite at five to start, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, we had over a dozen years with zero rates and negative rates and money printing and all kinds of stuff going on. So the, the again, we've reached this end point of what normal expectations should be for monetary policy, as well as mm-hmm. the fiscal response or the monetary response is probably the best way to put it. And so for that reason, like we're, we're going to have this like synchronicity, every breath you're taking, because volatility is it's here and it's not going to get resolved until you know they they break the mother and you know what the mother is it was announced over in cop 28 is it 28 Uh-oh. yeah we're gonna get to that we're not there yet when we get there say boomer what was the mother load the mother <laughs> load yeah no i mean yeah just to get, kind of round it up on the housing stuff but like <laughs> just to really summarize it like so people that are listening to this podcast are probably going to be like, oh, Steve's just like pumping his own bags, like thinks housing is going to like take off again. I'll tell you this. I'm like widely considered within the industry. So like realtors, developers, mortgage professionals, I would say I'm widely considered the most pessimistic person in the industry. So if you guys think oh, I'm left, like you left out grumpy, don't forget grumpy. Yeah, that too. But if you think I'm, if you think like I'm like bullish or optimistic or you whatever, like I can tell you the industry is like way to the other extremes. And so like again, when you think about like talking to retail clients, like it's like, hey guys, rate cuts are coming. You know what to do. Yeah. Anyways, that's 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 all I got. But um. Keith, let's let's talk about the bond bull market right now. I don't know if you'd call it that. Maybe it's a little bit premature. Creating visual content is an essential part of what I do, but the creative process hasn't always been easy. Here at the Lunia, we have to create cover art, social media posts, and images for our website. That normally requires an expensive full-time graphic designer. However, that's all been made possible using Canva. Canva for Teams is a design platform that makes it easy for anyone to create stunning content in any format, from social media posts to videos, presentations, websites, and marketing materials for our live events. Ever since I found Canva for Teams, it's been easy to collaborate and design with the team, which makes 
the whole process so much more creative and fun. Using Canva for Teams, Keith, Rich, and I can collaborate on designs, providing seamless feedback and ensuring our brand stays consistent using custom brand kits. Design and collaborate with Canva for Teams. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you go to canva.me slash loonyhour. That's canva.me slash loonyhour for a free 45-day extended trial. Canva.me slash Lunia. I think a lot of people are hoping it is a new bull market because it sucked for a long time. Like it's been really difficult. Uh... Was that the worst bond bear market? No. Uh, 94 was pretty bad. And then if you go back to the Great Depression, um, I mean, it was defaults everywhere when, when that stuff was, was happening. So we're probably also in that. yields yields rose right from nineteen like sixty two to like nineteen eighty nine right so like yields don't I know I know in, in our world we only think that yields come down but there was a very there was like a twenty or thirty year period where yields were were going up right yeah so. yields went up from about you know low early sixties to eighty two and they peaked but this yeah. last month um, I mean the the decline in yields so when when yields go down the price of bonds go up. So when, uh, you know, yields went from, say, 1% to almost 5 in the U.S. over yep. a two-and-a-half-year period, uh, that's what's created this, you know, 40 50% loss in like, just if you're holding a single long-term bond. The rally we've had over the last three weeks, four weeks maybe, something like that, in, you know, it, it's, I think we, was it rich that we saw the number was like a 14 standard deviation event? Yeah, it's huge. In playing language, it means like it rarely happens. So when it happens, it's like, holy smokes, this is unbelievable. But again, to, to put the context behind it, uh, it it doesn't mean that, you know, the bloodbath and the bond market is over. It just means that so many people were short the bond market. It just takes one small event to happen. What the event had to happen in the U.S. was that uh, it looked like the job market is getting a lot softer than what was expected. Inflation data points weaker and things like that. Uh, all of a sudden, that caused like the initial people closing their shorts and going long. And then it just snowballs. Everyone's yeah. going from one side of the boat to the other. And now we're at this other extreme moment right now in, in the bond market. So uh, it's not our expectations that that this will hold. You know, maybe it'll continue for another little bit. But, uh, you know, the, the long-term dynamics are, are a bit odd. And Because the next thing to think about, so you also had the stock market. So the equities went up about 12% in also a very short time frame. You know, again, driven by a very limited number of stocks, like seven to 10 stocks. I don't know which ones. Which but it's a pretty large easing of financial conditions, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everything just boom. It's just this perfect, you know, explosion. So now you have this belief and you know the expectation that you know the central banks are cutting by 100 basis points or so everyone's believing hey it's going to either going to be a soft landing or you know maybe a no landing there's still no talk about a hard landing of any kind so this could unravel very quickly let's just say the jobs number that came out today Yep. No. <laughs> Tomorrow. You got me. Damn it. You go. Or yesterday. The Friday, Friday. jobs number, Dees the 8th. You know, if you're in trader world, you know, every month in the future. Ba- we should tell people what they're looking for. U.S. non-farm payrolls. It, just go and Google it. If you're, whenever you're watching this podcast, Google it and figure out what the number was. 
Well, let's get the number for tomorrow. So we're we're not screwing around here anymore. Uh, so the, the estimate is 185,000 jobs. That's what we're looking at. And the previous month was 150,000. So we should talk about, that should be a Twinkie bet. Twinkie candy cane our, bet. Our <laughs> no, they're all mine. I'm not giving them up. <laughs> But anyway, uh, that that could change things tomorrow. But, uh, you, you know, we, we could have this moment coming up here where all these gains reverses very, very quickly. Because remember, money chases money. They chase returns. And, you know, if, if you were one of the first big funds, you, you, were, you, were short, you, know, you were short the bond market, you made a lot of money on it, and then you quickly closed it and went long. You made another lot of money on it. Getting towards year end. What are you going to do, Steve? This is the Santa Claus rally. You're going to close that sucker up, man. Shut it down and, you know, go to the beach for the next two or three weeks. Um, you guys remember, I think it was the 2018 Christmas period for two weeks. The market. Yeah, I remember was, that. I remember that. Yeah, I think markets dropped about 10 or 15% in about yep. six or seven days. I remember that because it was like, man, who was that in the administration there uh, when he was like tweeting about the U.S. financial system is sound? Who was it again? I don't was know. It, I don't know. It must have been it was the Trump year, right? Yeah, it was the Trump year, yeah. yeah. I don't remember his name, but I remember he, I remember he was tweeting that and everyone on Twitter was going nuts because like, well, that's the last thing you should t- tweet like to calm everyone's nerves, right? Is like... Is that the- is he was he the Treasury Secretary? Yeah, like, I think it was. Who was like yeah. a blonde, who was like a his very like uh, oh, Mnuchin. Like, yeah, yeah, that's his yeah, wife yeah. looks like Barbie. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was Mnuchin, it was right? The, I think uh, it was. Yeah, that's yeah. The, like the last thing you do, right? Like in like when you're a sports team, you go to Philadelphia. The last thing you're supposed to do is put your jersey on the Rocky statue before the game. This <laughs> is a big jinx, right? That doesn't work either. So you don't talk about you know markets at year end, but we are at this. That's place like saying right U.S. Now. subprime is contained. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've contained some <laughs> losses in our subprime, uh, um, but you know, you know, try to square the babbling here right now. Uh, this rally in the bond market, the stock market over the last few weeks, this ain't, this ain't normal, and this this could you know do another one eighty right away. Or maybe, you know, hopefully make things stabilize, right? Because it has been a, you know, a bit of that kind of a year out there. You looking to lock in some gains so you can treat Mrs. Icecap to a nice holiday or what? <laughs> uh, we just, we're just pretty steady all the time. So uh, I know you can't answer that on the pod. Yeah, um, wait, that. before this, before you go on, I think there's like, a, there's a bit of a danger here. I think that's like setting up for risk assets in the sense that people have been chasing. All, I remember how we like got here, right? So like in coming into this year, Myself and others were worried about sort of economic growth um, and everyone was sort of negative on stocks and bullish on um, and, and and bullish on bonds. And for some of that, it, you know, the reverse obviously played out. Uh, bond yields sold off, sorry, rose higher and the stock market had an incredible year. I mean, some of the tech stocks are up, you know, 40, 50, whatever percent. And so now, and then there was a lot of chasing and that positioning sort of built up. And so, and I think we're starting to see some of that positioning really accumulate. And we got a little bit of bad news on the economy, but I don't think, but I, you could make the case that there's actually, there's some decent, that's, there's, but that's the thing. There's some cross currents, right? So last week we got the Chicago PMI that came out and that has been generally been a pretty good leading indicator of 
sort of manufacturing activity. The ISM services wasn't so bad. It had okay, you know, um, had an okay number on the employment figure. I mean, you have a situation where the bond yields have the bond yields have come off. Markets have rallied, right? Because they think they're going to cut. Uh, to me, you're you're actually set up for maximum pain in the sense like, what happens if tomorrow, you know, you get a really decent print in non-farm payrolls? It pushes back again those cuts. And, you know, you have a situation where all this financial condition that's easing of financial conditions is actually unwound again. Um, And in a world where you're having falling margins, weaker sales growth and uh, and basically no impetus for your Federal Reserve to cut, he'll come out and say, we're not going to cut rates. Yes, we're pausing. We're not going to cut rates. To me, uh, you know, you (laughs) I don't know. I just like I think we don't it's a it's a sketchy kind of situation for risk assets. And I don't think we, we don't talk enough about positioning on this pod. Where it's like, you know, Keith makes the point about everybody on one side of the boat running to the other side and then back again. You know what I mean? And the moves that we've seen are so the, are all synchronized. And to me, that's that's a red flag in my view. Are we still in the middle, though, or early days of this insolvency cycle? I mean, you've got Chapter 11 bankruptcy filings in the U.S. at the, uh, the highest level since 2010. Yeah. So you have to be careful about that. You have to always common size them relative to the total number of, let's say, companies out there. But that number, you're right, is scary to look at. It's just basically a you know, ski jump through the, you know, through the roof. Um, I think, again, and then you and then what you do have next year is if you again, we've talked about this before, which is the refinancing rate, which is it, if you do have an OK economy, those rates stay high and those people have to deal with much higher refinancing. Well, I think that's I think that's the thing, though, right, is like that's the same analogy as we used earlier about the real estate developer in Vancouver, yeah, exactly. which is like, you know, these businesses, whether they're in Canada or the US or wherever they are in the world, is that, you know, the Fed taking rates down by 75 basis points next year isn't going to stem off that that business from from running into financial difficulties to be able to roll that debt you know 75 basis points isn't going to move the needle right but. you know uh, we talk about like stock market bellwethers or economic bellwethers yeah. you know uh like fedex and ups they're two big ones I think in the newest world, uh, one that I like to look at is uh, what it was the name. Who? Here's a question for you: Who is the biggest exporter in Sweden? Which company? Was a trick Ikea? question. Well, it's not a trick because it's factual, but it's, it's something you're not going to think of. Nope. What do you think, Steve? Steve's I'm googling, Goog- it, I'm right googling it right now. No, you're a cheater! Cheater! Oh, is, it, is it Maersk or something? Is it like a shipping co- company? No, they're they're Danish. It's Spotify. Oh, oh, come I, on! That was a trick question. That is a so, trick question. Well, the reason I bring it up because they announced uh, this week they're laying off seventeen percent. That's a big number. Yeah. Remember, Canadian banks are laying off one and a half to. That's a crap business, though. Isn't it? I love Spotify. So, but think about. No, they're great, house- but like it's a it's like an awesome platform to use and like but like yeah that's a that that seems like a tough business to monetize sorry well Keith, they, they were able to monetize it because they they went you know they went public and everything however say you're running your, your household and things are getting a bit tight you know what's the last thing that you stop paying spotify <laughs> no it's your mortgage it's the last thing you got to okay. keep paying the mortgage right so instead, you look at cutting back on, you know, other like to these these days, it's, you know, it's, it's the platforms. So I know everyone in Canada has, has now, you know, cut back on Disney Plus because, you know, or Finman did it. Fearless so leader. Our fearless leader on the financial modeling side. 
but it, it is one of these. So if people are cutting back on, you know, Spotify and things, again, it, it's, you're always looking for pieces to the puzzle. Are things getting better or, or worse? You know, that's what it is. And so when you have something like Spotify, I don't know, maybe they lost market share to Apple Music or Google Music or BlackBerry Music. Is there a BlackBerry Music? Boomer, you got a, yeah. you got a Zune? You know what that is? Zune? Z-U-N-E? No. But you know what those are, right? That's an MP3 player. Yeah, Keith still got the original Zune. Oh, no, I have the DJ Dell. I had one of those from years ago. What the hell is that? It's like the, you know, originally Apple had the iPod, I think. That's what it's called, right? A little small thing. Dell came out with a competitor, and it was like a bloody tank. You would have bought the Dell. You're such a Dell guy. I was a big Windows guy like years ago. You know, that's where I was. And then, uh, you know, when your computer crashes, you get that blue screen, the blue screen of death. <laughs> About 10 years ago, I said, screw that. And I went out and I got, because my friend said, yeah, the, the Macs never break, really. So I went out and got a Mac. And guess what happened, Rich? They gave you a free black sweater like that, and you've been wearing it ever <laughs> since. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love my Steve Jobs sweater. It's, it's, it's nice. But anyway, I switched over. I'm now fully converted to the Apple ecosystem. Uh, but I still have the old DJ Dell. Yeah, you're like the most tech advanced boomer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. But look at the Spotify. Again, like you're always looking for little clues what's happening. Uh, we, this is not we, a market making move, but Moody's, they cut uh, the credit rating on China. Hey, this Canada's week. still AAA. They're in the best of the G7. Best right. of the Wait G7. Yeah. So you got to nod your head. That. You got to nod your head too. Yeah, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. So yeah, the Finman got that right as well. But yeah, again, that's not a market moving thing, but it is it is something that does highly suggest, as we've been talking about for a long time, you know, the panda in the room over there, like it is not getting better. Um, Rich, did you touch on Jolt? No. No, definitely no. We haven't. Well, I think that's do. been part of the, the the. Everyone's been looking for that jolts number to really ease up, and it seems like it's finally showing signs of progress over the last couple of months. And I think yeah. that's obviously been a bit part of the reason behind the the movement in bond yields uh, over the last week or two. But um, I don't know if you want to quickly, briefly touch on that before we shift gears. Well, it's just that, you know, the the job opening labor something survey. I mean, you know, there's Ooh, still a lot labor <laughs> turnover. Was... Whatever turnover survey. I mean, now there's 8.7 million job openings. Um, I think down from 500, from 900 and from 9.5 million or something. But you have to be just be careful because that series that you normally see is not seasonally adjusted. So there's a little bit of seasonality there. But the um, which just means you know it oscillates quite a bit. So we sort of want to see the trend, and the trend is declining. I think there's one little wrinkle. Um, number one is that um, you know a lot. Apparently, there weren't that many respondents. So obviously, these are a lot, a lot of stuff. A lot of this stuff has to do with um, survey data. Basically, they ask you know thousands and thousands of companies how they're doing and where that data comes from, etc. And so that's that's the first thing. Um, and then the second thing is um, it's sort of there's also different jolt numbers for different um, different what's it called uh, different sectors. So you might have manu- you have jolts for manufacturing, you have uh, mining and logging, construction, information technology, or whatever. And and that's you know for that one, I think it's important that 
you know, you actually had some series not fall at all. So for example, manufacturing and construction were basically flat. So there's still jo lots of jobs available in that sector. Whereas um, other ones like education, health services, that one fell a lot. That was like the lion's share of the number that actually fell. And then on the pause, so, so that's, I mean, I, that's usually a sort of a defensive sector. So I'm surprised it fell that much. Maybe there was some strikes or something like who knows. But one thing that I thought was also was interesting is one of the key one of the key sectors that jumped that actually rose uh, and now is at a sort of I think almost a one, two, three, almost a six month high is something called professional and business services. So it's exactly what it says on the tin. And so that's an important sort of so it's it wasn't it, it yes, it's coming down as you, I think you would suspect as the, the the economy still normalizes, but it wasn't sort of as bad as I think as the first sort of indicator was as the first indication of it was. Yeah, well, you are putting you to homework. So again, everyone look up for the US non farm payrolls, but uh, I think it's a good time to shift gears as well. Rich to a subject you're quite passionate about, which is uh, this COP 28. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, we've got the uh, the climate czar there, Stephen Gilbo in uh, in in uh, was it Dubai? Yeah, it's in Dubai. Yeah, so he's he took his bike over there, and uh... <laughs> uh, so and we've got he's... some cuts on got some cuts on methane, and what did they, they announce today that um, there's going to be like emissions caps on yeah uh, cap and trade cap and trade so yeah, i don't know if you want to kind of dumb that down for the uh for the listeners here i'm not to be honest with you i don't exactly know how cap and trade works it's probably something i should do some homework on they basically some... they basically they so okay so basically these uh oil and again i'm not oil and gas expert here but oh these oil and gas companies they have got emission targets if they go over it they could they basically have to buy like carbon offsets right um and, and they essentially they're essentially you know they, they're gonna have to like take out of their profits essentially uh so if you don't abide by the, the the federal government's targets then you know pony up your wallet buy some carbon offsets to donate it to the slush fund and who knows where that yes. money goes are those funds actually are those funds actually segregated <laughs> come on Keith. i'm serious i have a serious question are they or do they go into the general pot? Maybe if anyone knows that, they can share it with. Yeah, I, my instinct is no. I would I would doubt that anybody would in the current government would be that responsible. Um, I do know that there's all kinds of shenanigans in the in the cap and trade stuff. It doesn't mean we shouldn't necessarily do it, but I think we should just be sort of do it with sort of eyes wide open, where loads of companies, um, they people people start all kinds of companies or they 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 like sell these they, like they're horribly pollutive, but because they have the amount of money, they can purchase uh, they purchase carbon from companies that would never otherwise normally create carbon anyways, which allows them to produce you know horrific amount of emissions and even worse in some cases. So. I do know there's lots of shenanigans um, and, you know, obviously this relates to ESG and one company, for example, that, you know, falls into this like company of shenanigans, which is a company called Drax, which maybe I'm getting in trouble, but um, they apparently, you know, when you go, I'm about to go to London on business and London, uh, all it says, you know, when you walk around, that it says it's produced a hundred percent of London's electricity is from renewable energy. And it comes from a company called Drax. And that company basically cuts down clear cuts forests, to create wood pellets and put the wood pellets on a boat and in Canada, by the way, and then ships those wood pellets to be burnt in a biomass, um, uh, biomass, uh, you know, power generation 
I mean, I'm laughing because it's just so crazily absurd, but it's considered renewable energy, right? So let's just repeat. They clear cut a forest, create wood pellets, put the wood pellets on a boat, burn marine diesel, ship it to the UK and burn it to create electricity. And that's considered renewable energy, which is absolutely nuts. So, I mean, that's just one example of how these things can sort of good ideas can sort of just get, you know, end up in the ditch. But the, I mean, listen, the point of the cop thing, I mean, I'm not going to speak to like all of the policies that I can't do that. Obviously, I think that there's some, you know, obviously there's one that's been really, really great unambiguously, which is the 22 countries that have sort of gotten behind nuclear energy. Uh, with the notable notable exception of Germany, which insists on not doing anything on nuclear power, which is, of course, absolutely ridiculous. But I think that that's an unambiguously good step. Again, if, if climate change is really important to you, I think nuclear power is the only way you can really solve that. That's my view. I think it's a lot of people's view. But so that's like unambiguously good. On the Stephen Gilbo's side, I think he is continuing down the path of trying to impoverish Canadians um, in what I, I would... I'm gonna Call. sorry to interrupt you. I'm gonna say it right now. I think I think he's the most dangerous man in Canada. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, yeah. I think I, I number one. I don't think he necessarily he has a mandate. I don't think that's the, that's not the platform that he was elected on. That's not the platform they were elected on. There's no one's ever voted for this. Um, number two, he's impoverishing Canadians um, in order to basically have the world's biggest virtue signal. Um, it's important to remember a couple of facts when you look at these headlines. Number one, Canada is like 1.5, maybe, maybe 2% of global emissions. We do that while we're the fourth largest oil producer in the world. Um, and that oil, uh, selling that oil, and hopefully more natural gas, affords us the ability to basically live in um, in the fashion in which we do. You know, uh, As a function of that, we create enormous, our current account balance is in balance. Um, we sell an incredible amount of oil to the United States. 97% of our oil goes to the US. And that money comes back as hard currency. And that hard currency allows us to live well beyond our means. We know our debt to GDP ratios are off the charts. Because we don't have any productivity growth, our productivity growth is zero. And so by literally attacking our golden goose, he is making it very, very difficult for Canada to uh, recalibrate away from the debt, improve our productivity in a way that is not painful, e.g. a major internal devaluation, but, you know, recession and consumption and house prices falling um, or an external devaluation in the form of a much, much lower we, currency. We can all just sell houses to each other. So and this idea and then, and then I think it all stems from this big lie and the big lie, which, you know, some people I might get a lot of pushback on this, but I think I'm, I believe it with every fiber of my being. Um, and I think the data supports me is that, you know, the world is transitioning away from fossil fuels. Now, that's true in the way that inflation inflation is transitory. Yes, one day, maybe, you know, the world will stop consuming fossil fuels, but make no mistake about it. Fossil fuel consumption is rising, not falling. And it's rising and not falling because people consume more coal, more natural gas, and more crude oil every single year. And those numbers are going up. Do not take my word for it. Go to our world in data. Just Google that and look at total energy production, energy consumption, and look at by fossil fuels. So when people say, oh, yeah, renewable energy is going up and it has climbed, number one, they lump in hydro into that number. Number two, yes, it's going up as a percentage of total, which is fine and probably good thing. But this idea that the world is going to start in the, in the next, in our lifetime, um, is going to move away from fossil fuels is to me, you know, disassociated from reality. 
Um, and again, it's important to note that Canada is a relatively ethical liberal democracy and we don't, you know, throw gays off buildings and do other nefarious things. So the idea that Canada shouldn't be at the forefront of selling our fossil fuels in order to fund our welfare system makes no sense to me. And But this is exactly what this man is presenting. He, yeah, but this so... guy, this is also a guy that's lying and saying, you know, solar and wind is cheaper than natural oh, yeah. gas. It's, it's, it's insane that you can make that comment and nobody seemingly publicly calls them out it's not yeah so this is there's another there's some people who some really sm smarter people than me who have really debunked this um often i and i'm going to screw this up so forgive me and correct me if i'm wrong which is it's about the sort of they always say the average price or the average price of is that right steve or they, they they call the average cost of wind and solar is much much cheaper than these things but what they don't account for is the intermittency of these which is natural right when you look outside the sun goes up and down obviously the wind blows or doesn't blow and that affects sort of the cost per you know megawatt hour or what happens it's it's like yeah base load energy it, it's right. it anyways it's it's this nefarious calculation that has been anyone that's serious about energy markets has basically debunked and even actually right. the creators of it have sort of put this asterisk next to it saying right. hey guys like <laughs> you're kind of abusing this model um they but, have to, i mean this is and the they have to abuse it because it doesn't it, you remember that this gentleman until basically five seconds ago was anti-nuclear again we've had our we had dr Kiefer come on and basically painstakingly go over why this is sort of i would antithetical to the human existence number one but also just wrong but the other thing is just like you know we need to reconcile the fact that humans live in the way in the state in which we do at the benefit from oil and fossil fuels generally now again i'm making no but my point is not political i'm saying we need to move away from that fine but like it's the reality of where we are and where we're going and canada especially is massively dependent on the on exploiting these resources and so this idea that we're going to somehow and, and, like we're going to pivot canada 40 million people the fourth largest producer in the world is going to pivot away from these products and that is going to materially change the outlook for the world to me is is effectively what what he is doing is making canada a martyr for something that we have no control over what matters is what happened in china what happened what matters is what happens in india and to a lesser degree indonesia and all three of those countries are producing are consuming way way more coal china is building 402 coal new coal power plants their coal consumption is rising, not falling. Their oil output, oil consumption is rising, not falling. And India and Indonesia are following suit. So, you know, we're basically being martyred. I mean, in my view, and, and I'm using really strong language because I think that it needs to be said. So Keith, but I mean, he said that he went over to off. China and they, he had a conversation with them about uh, getting them to transition. It, and it, it went... It went China, well, apparently. China is a leader in renewable energy in many, many ways, but they're also basically playing us for fools. And, you know, if I was running a country where half of my population was living under the poverty line or very close to it, I would also, you know, burn coal and try to emancipate my working class. That's what India has explicitly said. That's what Indonesia is going to do. And I get it. But this idea that the world is going to pivot away from fossil fuels within this century or maybe even the next century, again, remember... We didn't want nuclear until two weeks ago. So, and we haven't built basically a new nuclear power plant in the West in, you know, something like 20 years or whatever. So maybe Keith, Dr. Kiefer can correct me if I'm wrong about that. But my point is, is that this idea that that's happening to me is a big lie and needs to be called out. And it's and it's it's not OK that Canadian working class families pay for 
you know, this guy's sort of grandiose dreams. Um, and there you go. That's my oil rant. We haven't had one in a while. So yeah, I, no, I think that's uh, Keith. I don't know if you have any co- comments, but yes. I was just going to summarize there. Oh, well, I haven't said my comments yet. Go on. It's my, it's so my turn. I think ahead. you you both been too kind, right? With what you just said. We've been too kind. I'm gonna say some, yeah, I'm going to say something that's going to be very dramatic. Now, I mean it to be dramatic because I think it needs to be uh, discussed. And I'm going to tell you why. I think this is, is going to go down as one of the biggest financial scams in the history of Earth. That's where I think it's gone. So this is COP28, correct? Yep. How many people attended COP1? Probably 25 people. I have no idea. 1,000 people? 1,000 people, right? Five years ago, how many attended? I've seen the chart. <laughs> yeah, five years ago, it was about, I think, 20,000, 25,000. This year, over 80,000 people now are attending COP28. It's not a linear curve, Rich. It's, that's gone like this. The the statement from uh, Ursula von der Leyen, or Lahin, I think her name is. She's the head of the EU, basically. Uh, and and this, these are his, her words. She said... Climate finance, she said, we need trillions, not billions. So trillions of dollars. That's what they they want. And they're going to get it. They're, they're going to have a rich way to do it. Everybody in the world, because everybody wants to make money, they are jumping on this gravy train. It, it's there. Of course, you're going to go. You're going to try to make the next great uh, tur- wind turbine or... Uh, you're going with in uh, like any in any other kind of renewable kind of energy. That's that's what they are selling, and the momentum is enormous. And it, it will stop at some point. Um, I don't know how it's going to take. I think for it's going to take for the Americans to pull away from this. And I do think if there's a political change in the U.S. next year, that will take place. If there's a political change in Canada, whether it's in 24 or 25. I would imagine that this this pendulum is going to swing pretty back aggressively that way as well. But everyone has, has taken it for fact because you're you're told because you're you're watching different certain medias that you're told you're supposed to listen to, and they're telling you what they say is fact, and and everyone is, is just tripping over themselves to be a part of it. But yet, when you get into the facts, that as you guys were pointing out, none of it makes sense. So you have 80,000 people over this week. I mean, they all flew over in jets and whatever, however else they got there and, and so forth. And the amount of inaccurate statements that are coming out, I bet you can write a book on it. I'm sure we're going to see a lot of them coming out over the next few days. But th- this is a financial scam. That's what it is. So at this point, I'm sure the loony hour will get taken off the air. Right? <laughs> nice knowing you, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Steve is calling someone a liar and Rich is siding with the Chinese on something. But and again, this again, here's a group of people. Well, none of them have been elected directly. The most, most powerful person in Europe, this uh, this lady von der Leyen, she was not elected. She is an unelected person who is the most powerful person in Europe, and they're telling you we're going to raise trillions of dollars from this. So get ready so- for trillions. Before we get canceled, I just want to make two really important points clear. Number one. Our fossil fuel consumption is going up across the board. However, our GDP is already decoupling from fossil fuels. Again, all this data is on this website called Our World in Data. The data goes back literally 150, almost 200 years, has per capita data, has by sector data, 
has by energy type, production, by country, across the board. Don't take my word for it. Go on this website and check it out. Fiddle for yourself. It's really cool. But one thing's really important. Our fossil fuel consumption is decoupling from GDP as we move away. As more and more services become more important to our economy, we need less and less fossil fuels and energy full stop in order to produce that extra bit of GDP. Naturally, you can just think about looking at your computer, you know, and your computers have become more efficient. Yeah, you can do more stuff on it. That's a stupid example. But that does it. And then that's the first thing. Second thing is that, yes, renewables as a percentage of total energy production and electricity production is rising. But it's only part of it because energy is electricity production, but also, you know, how you transport stuff and how you manufacture goods. So that's the third thing. And the fourth thing is that that fails to recognize that the total number of electricity and energy required to satisfy the needs of billions of people who simply want to live a life that make no mistake about it. If you're Canadian, you are literally the one of the richest people in the world. We're a little less so over the last few years, but we're still quite rich. And so you're basically what you're effectively saying is you're denying three or four billion people the opportunity to have uh, a fridge, a uh, air conditioner to drive a modest car or motorcycle. And you're telling those people that in order to satisfy this goal that those 3 billion people are not allowed to have even a modicum of the creature comforts that you in Canada have and you know aspire to have etc and so those three or four things need to be like playing around in your head when you're reading this stuff and so you know do i think we'll solve the emissions problem yes eventually via nuclear power but this idea that fossil fuel consumption is going to roll over off a cliff because of wind and solar to me in my view, is is a, is a total and un, unadulterated lie. And again, don't take my word for it. Please go to ourworldindata.org. It was it's from the IMF and the UN and stuff, and they do a really good job with that data. And there you go. That's my piece for today. Yeah, just to uh, just to summarize that, there was you know a little tiny bit of good news, but uh, so Canada was among a group of twenty nations, including the U.S. and the U.K., that announced an agreement to triple nuclear energy capacity by twenty fifty. Um, so that's perhaps some of the good news coming out of COP28. Uh, but again, just to kind of also summarize the emissions caps. So Canada is going to require its oil and gas industry. And this just came out today. So Canada will require its oil and gas industry to cut emissions uh, 35 to 38% below 2019 levels over the next six years. So by 2030, they want to cut emissions by about 35%. Uh, and it's going to be done through a buy and trade, um, a, a cap and trade system, basically. And so, um, if you exceed those those that cap, you're going to have to basically buy like carbon offsets, um, and the cap will go down over time until Canada's economy is apparently supposed to reach a net zero uh, by 2050. So it's um, never going to happen. Anyways, I mean, uh, so you've got uh, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith, who's has already come out and said she's pushing back on this. Uh, she said she's calling it a quote a de facto production cap on Alberta's oil and gas sector, and it amounts to an intentional attack by the federal government on the economy of Alberta. So, uh, and this is a lady again, whether you like her or dislike her, um, she is working on on legislation to basically prevent all this stuff and. Um, you know, because you've seen the federal government come out 
trying to get Alberta to to change sort of their electrical grid and and how it's powered. They wanted it to be powered by you know more wind and solar, and she's saying uh-uh. uh And so she's actually looking to block that, similar to how we saw um, you know Saskatchewan, uh, the premier I believe is Scott Moe there. And so he's come out and said, because the energy company is owned uh, by the government, Sask, I believe it's Sask Energy, uh, that they are not going to be collecting the carbon tax on energy consumption uh, as of January 1st. So you can sort of see some of these provinces um, that are you know, producing our energy are now pushing back and saying, uh, we, we've had enough. So it's interesting to sort of see the politics side of that as well. Um, but I think this is just showing a lot of these frictions that are that are being created as we try to make this sort of transition away from fossil fuels. And there's going to be winners and losers. And um, I think a lot of tensions. This, and You know, I, this makes me feel really uneasy, guys. I'm just being honest with, with everyone here. We were already moving away. The, the, the trend was already started. Oil companies are becoming more efficient, and company everyone's always become more efficient. It used to be called, you know, you want to reduce pollution, you want to become cleaner. That that's already happening, but the speed and the extent and the degree of which it's being forced upon us today, uh, this stinks. There's something not right here if this was such a dire requirement and that's what the government officials are telling us they're saying the world is going to implode if, if we don't do this that this should be a referendum this shouldn't be a small group of people in a back room deciding what should happen for a major policy change that in as rich has demonstrated even if canada went to zero or negative number but you can go negative right it's still not going to affect the world Canada cannot impact the world with this issue. Now, people will try to prove me wrong, but if you want to impact the world, you got to jump over to Asia and get, get China and everyone else to do it. Again, this is just really odd behavior and aggressive behavior. And if it is that important, let, let us have a real honest conversation about it with, with actual objective data, because I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it. And again, you have 80,000 people over there and they're telling you they're going to have to raise trillions to do it. What are they going to, how, so how does the economy work if governments and the private sector have to raise trillions for reinvestment into these sectors? Where's the money coming from? Is it taxes and savings? Like it's, I don't know, guys, like I'm telling you, this this is going down at, at some point. It's going to, we're going to say, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't quite the right way to, to take this. But, you know, maybe we've reached the, uh, you know, eighth or ninth inning with it. But again, these are very dramatic statements coming out of this group. And uh, there's there's no pushback. You're not allowed to push back. Except the loony hour pushback. <laughs> well, I just kind of leave leave everybody with one, one fact. I think um, just remember that, you know, G7 emissions have not increased in 30 years. The U.S. has cut their emissions by 25%. Canada's flat. Okay, we could probably do better. Europe is down 30%. And this is including the production and consumption. So people will say, oh, it's because we shipped all of our production to China, blah, blah, blah. Again, go on this website that I recommended. They address that claim. 
this will not be solved in the West. We have a shrinking population. We're more efficient. This will be solved in China and India and the rest of the world. And us sacrificing ourselves on the altar of this COP28 will hurt only working class people in all of our countries. It will not address the issue, will not help the claim that they make, and it will just end up leaving us in penury. Um, it's uh, it's sad and annoying. And go check the website. I think that's uh, I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, like I said, I believe uh, Mr. Gilbo is the most dangerous man in Canada. <laughs> I stand by those words, and uh, hopefully we don't get kicked off of YouTube here. Um, appreciate your guys' support. As always, if you've got comments on it, uh, yeah, hey, email us, put a comment on YouTube. Yeah, again, I'm sure there's going to be lots of people that might disagree with this. We're happy to d- debate this. Uh, we're happy to have guests on of various views. Um, I'd love to get, uh, we'll reach out after this to to Doomberg, who writes a brilliant Substack, uh, who I think is very even keeled and balanced and has talked a lot about Canadian energy. I don't think he, I think he might actually be Canadian. Um, the guy that runs that. So hopefully he also talks get... a lot about, he also talks, talks a lot about renewables. He's not an anti-renewable guy at all, yeah. by the way. It's, it's... Yeah. He's not anti-renewable. I think he's just realistic about the ability of it to really scale up in the near term. Um, and, and the realities of, of, of basically the energy mix. So again, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully have on more, more guests that can shine some light on, on various topics. And, um, this is by no means a, you know, Why no renewables at all, but we're let's, just trying to be Steve. Let yeah. us invite Mr. Gibo. Have, have him come on. Yeah. He's happy to debate my claim of being the most dangerous man in Canada. <laughs> and we- uh, no, no, but seriously, if he's got a view on renewables and, and if he genuinely believes that it's cheaper, I would love to sort of look at the math and he's happy to come and debate that. And, and, uh, you know, we can have an energy round table for all I care. Maybe the next loony hour event is an energy round table with, uh, you know, people as of, of various opinions and, and they can hash it out on stage and we can record it and the audience can determine for themselves of what they believe to be correct or incorrect and and we'll take it from there but uh like i said as always it's a good place to end it uh thanks for listening to us rant and we'll see you next week